Welcome to Inspired, a production of Interfaith Voices. I'm your host, Umbreen Khan. It's been over a year working from home, a playroom transformed into a makeshift studio. At the beginning, I thought it would be for just a few weeks, but that stretched into months, and then we passed a year anniversary. Earlier this week, CDC Director Dr. Rochelle Walensky made an impassioned plea. I'm going to pause here, I'm going to lose the script, and I'm going to reflect on the recurring feeling I have of impending doom. We have so much to look forward to, so much promise and potential of where we are, and so much reason for hope. But right now, I'm scared. I know what it's like as a physician to stand in that patient room and to be the last person to touch someone else's loved one because their loved one couldn't be there. So I'm speaking today not only as your CDC director, but as a wife, as a mother, as a daughter. Just hold on a little longer to get vaccinated so that all of those people that we all love will still be here when this pandemic ends. This morning, I looked at the numbers of cases and hospitalizations being tracked by Johns Hopkins University. And unfortunately, the data is there. The cases are rising. We need to hold on to the positive while continuing to protect and prevent further spread of COVID-19. This time last year, we asked you, our listeners, to share who you're turning to and tuning into for guidance. This week, we return to our first pandemic episode. How do we resist feeling distant when we cannot gather? Because of the way that our brains are inherently metaphorical, when we hear distancing, we feel more separate. Like we naturally go from creating physical distance means creating emotional distance. Those two things don't necessarily have to go together. That's the Reverend Dr. Lynn Unger. She's a poet and a Unitarian Universalist minister from Northern California. A couple of weeks ago, I felt like every social media platform I was looking at, someone was sharing her poem. Pandemic. What if you thought of it as the Jews considered the Sabbath, the most sacred of times? Cease from travel. Cease from buying and selling. Give up, just for now, on trying to make the world different than it is. Sing. Pray. Touch only those to whom you commit your life. Center down. And when your body has become still, Reach out with your heart. Know that we are connected in ways that are terrifying and beautiful. You could hardly deny it now. Know that our lives are in one another's hands. Surely that has come clear. Do not reach out with your hands. Reach out your heart. Reach out your words. Reach out all the tendrils of compassion that move invisibly where we cannot touch. Promise this world your love for better or for worse, in sickness and in health, so long as we all shall live. So long as we all shall live. Those words at the end of her poem resonated not just with me, but with many of you. Two weeks ago, I asked you to share how you're coping with the new restrictions to prevent the spread of COVID-19. Several of you shared Lynn's poem. So I started reaching out and discovered not only has she published many, 
She's a minister with the Church of the Larger Fellowship, an online congregation. Her work has been included in the anthology, What We Share. Lynn readily agreed to do an interview from her home in California, where she, too, had just begun sheltering in place. I began our conversation by asking her what inspired her to write this poem now, and she mentioned a friend who had put out a call to poets, and that struck a chord. It was a thing that had a moment, like now is when we need it, and I guess I was willing to uh, go with letting things be imperfect model for the poem as well for the worship, but in this case, it also felt like yeah, I think my friend is right. I think we need a poem now. So let's put out a poem. And it's not long. At 151 words, Unger ends the pandemic poem, borrowing a familiar refrain from wedding vows. She explains. Well, because I wanted to talk about the commitment to love one another. I mean, that's really what it's about. The words in sickness and in health came to my mind as being sort of obviously expressive of the situation, right? Where we are in this, really in the sickness part, um, but if you commit to a relationship, that's how you commit. The commitment she is speaking about is the one we have to those we know and those we don't. A covenant with our fellow human beings. It's something she feels passionate about, especially right now. In the poem, she uses parentheses as a response to an argument that she finds troubling. I will try not to get too political, but um, I think that we have been hearing a lot of very distancing language, a lot of trying to make people afraid of other people, a lot of us and them. And this is the kind of situation that you have to go No, no, we're all connected here. There is no just myself. This is a global pandemic. What other people are doing obviously and directly affects us. So you can't pretend that it doesn't. And so I think those parenthetical statements are kind of a response to the argument and imagined argument of people responding by saying, no, America first. What about me? It's like, oh. No, like, let's have a look here. It's pretty clear that we are very connected because you can see it as things change on maps. Red circles growing. It's all there together. The red circles Unger is describing are often those on the maps in the news, showing how the virus is spreading across the country and as governments place more restrictions on movement. Unger began to contemplate how we think about distance her attention turned to the Jewish tradition of observing Shabbat. The Jewish Sabbath is a bunch of stuff that you're not allowed to do. So similar to our current situation in that there are things that you would usually want to do that somebody else has said, no, you are not permitted to do those things. But in the case of Shabbat, that's a joyful thing. It's sacred and it's beautiful and It's a treasured and holy part of people's week. And so the restriction creates a kind of freedom in a paradoxical kind of way. And so I really kind of wanted to put together those two things about how physical distance is really not the same thing as emotional distance and how 
restriction could lead you into something that was something you were gaining rather than just seeing it as something that you were giving up. Have you been surprised by the reaction? <laughs> Absolutely. Um, <laughs> Stunned? I mean, I just keep <laughs> laughing just like in a vaguely hysterical kind of way as people keep, you know, pointing me like, look, Julia Roberts shared this on Instagram. Um, okay. <laughs> like, it's on Dan Rather's Facebook page. Uh, cool. <laughs> then that's, um, wow. So, yes, it's all been... Um, really extremely remarkable. And is has it given you a new platform? Do you feel more pressure as you think about your next poem that you're going to write? Yeah. After somebody said, Julia Roberts shared your poem on Instagram, I was like, huh, I wonder if I need an Instagram account. <laughs> um, so I have figured out uh, with some help from my 21-year-old daughter how to post things to Instagram, certainly not committing to writing a new poem every day, but I do kind of feel like apparently people could use poems at this point. I mean, it is a little bit strange because, of course, I'm getting large numbers of friend requests. I have both a personal page and a, a, and a page page that's my, you know, Lynn Unger poet. Actually, if you want to find me, poet Lynn Unger. Do you have another book in mind? Are you contemplating future publications as you kind of look ahead I am hoping that uh, there would be an actual book with a publisher in the future somewhere. I, that's not a thing that has yet happened, um, but it would be nice if it did. I, I have written other poems. I intend to continue writing other poems, so it would be nice to get stuff out there. Lynn, what does your spiritual practice look like? The things that are really my personal spiritual practices as opposed to the things that I do as my work are mostly singing, um, dancing, and I'm teaching myself to play the mandolin. Um, but it is a thing that I do try to do every day that um, is part of my grounding. I would like to be able to say that I genuinely have a meditation practice or a prayer practice. Um, but if I did that, I would be lying. Can't claim that I do. But the music and the dancing are my genuine, consistent practices. Lynn, is there anything else that you'd like to share? Any reflections or new poems that you'd like to share that while we've got you here? Um, if you want, I will read you um, a new poem, which is... Um, still pandemic-related. It's called Toilet Paper. How many rolls of toilet paper will make you safe? How many bottles of Purell? How much peanut butter or pasta, bread or beer? How much money will make you secure? $10,000, a million, a billion dollars in a yacht? At what point do you say, I have what I need? Ask the Buddha. He says, it is the nature of all things to change. It is the nature of all beings to suffer. It is the nature of all beings to die. How many roles will make you safe? Wouldn't it be better if you yourself were multi-layered 
and soft and strong. That was the Reverend Dr. Lynn Unger, a poet and minister for lifespan learning and editor of Quest for the Unitarian Universalist Church of the Larger Fellowship. From poetry to spiritual practices, people of faith and goodwill are turning to new ways of connecting with community. Coming up, we take a listen to some of the themes, stories, and wisdoms from religious and spiritual leaders across traditions. This is Inspired. Stay with us. Hi, friends. I hope you're enjoying the show so far. I just want to say thank you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being part of our community. I don't know if you know this, but we are on the air all the way from Richmond, Virginia to Ketchikan, Alaska, and in so many places in between. We're a national show, and we are a small and mighty team committed to bringing you stories and sounds from around the world that convey not only the diversity and the pluralism of our country, but the beliefs that are shaping our world, our politics, our culture, and the ideas that sustain us and inspire us to think about where we are going. And that brings me to this question. If you value us, if you enjoy listening and appreciate what you're hearing, I want to ask you to take a moment to consider becoming a sustaining member of Interfaith Voices or make a one-time donation at interfaithradio.networkforgood.com. That's interfaithradio.networkforgood.com. Thank you, and let's get back to the show. Welcome back to Inspired, a production of Interfaith Voices. I'm your host, Umbreen Khan. In three days, pandemic was circulating around the world. Not the COVID-19 virus, but the poem, written by Northern California minister and poet Lynn Unger. A friend on Facebook made an appeal for poetry that would speak to these uncertain times. And a few days later, Unger penned 151 words and put it on Facebook. What happened next was something she never imagined. Hashtag Lynn Unger was on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and the poem found its way into countless sermons and electronic newsletters and text threads like WhatsApp. And when the Academy Award-winning actress Julia Roberts shared the poem, news outlets like the Chicago Tribune picked up the story. From the spiritual seekers to the deeply orthodox, people of faith and goodwill are seeking support. This week, we take a closer look at how leaders of different traditions are offering support in this time of uncertainty and fear. While each community has its distinct message, one thread emerges as they seek to bridge the physical separation, a common message. You 
are not alone. As we gather in worship today, let me offer a special word of welcome to all those who are joining us because your own Sunday morning services have been suspended. Please know that you are continually in our prayers and in our thoughts, and we will do whatever we can to provide um, provide resources and support as we navigate through these uncharted waters together. We are in this together. We are still the church, regardless of the suspension of our collective gatherings, and we will walk this journey together. The Right Reverend Marion Edgar Budd is the Episcopal Bishop of the Diocese of Washington, D.C. Wearing her purple Lenten vestments seated in front of a video camera on a couch in her home, Bishop Budd goes on to explain to worshipers that out of a great abundance of caution, she was self-isolating after potential exposure to COVID-19. Under her leadership and direction, the Washington National Cathedral, which calls itself a, quote, spiritual home for the nation, has closed its doors to parishioners and moved all services online. The presiding bishop, Michael Curry, appears. From his home in North Carolina, he joined the live stream. And unlike the Right Reverend Bud, Bishop Curry is seated at his desk. It's much closer to his home video camera, and it is far more intimate than standing behind a lectern at a church in an empty sanctuary. As I tune in to watch, it feels like he is looking right at you. He begins by explaining the inspiration of his sermon comes from a blog post written by a fellow bishop in western Louisiana. He spoke of maybe the need for us to be contagious with love, to be contagious with healing, to be contagious with help. I think he's right. The kind of love that seeks the good and the welfare and the well-being of others is the kind of love that Jesus taught us. That's the love of Jesus going to the cross. He didn't sacrifice his life for anything that he could get out of it. He did it for the good and welfare and the well-being of others. He did it to show us this is what love looks like, not self-centered, not selfishness, but actually seeking the good and the welfare of others as well as the self, but of others. That's love. John 3.16 says it so well, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that all that believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That kind of love must be contagious. And that kind of contagious love can change the world. We will fight this particular contagion and all of our pre-existing social contagions and divisions by the disciplined labor of love. Love working through medical folk, Love working through leaders. Love working through each one of us who can help and heal, maybe in small ways, but add them up and they make a profound difference. Maybe even something as small as voluntarily worshiping God online instead of in person, especially if that will help somebody else. Jesus loves me. This I know. 
Bishop Michael Curry's message encouraged reflection and thinking about a contagious form of love in these uncertain times. Rabbi Peter J. Rubenstein focuses on a slightly different message, one of patience and resilience. Community spread of COVID-19 that has begun to strain and overwhelm New York's healthcare system began in the heart of New York's Jewish community. Rabbi Rubenstein spoke from the New York Central Synagogue via live stream. We join him as he begins with a story. Once there was a farmer who, while working in his field, heard a loud crash followed by a splash and the sound of kicking and braying, running to discover what it was that had caused the disturbance He found that his prized donkey, the most valuable animal on his farm, had fallen into the well on his property. Now, the well didn't have much water in it, so the donkey was able to stand with his head above the water. But because the well was so deep, there was no way the animal could climb out of the well on his own. The farmer also knew that the animal was too heavy for him to lift by himself, so he called upon his neighbors to come and assist him. They were also farmers. They came and together they lassoed the front and back of the donkey and attempted to pull the animal up out of the well. But the donkey was just too heavy. And sensing itself trapped in the well, the animal began kicking violently and braying loudly. The farmers looked on helpless until one of them said, we can't allow this animal to continue to suffer. Perhaps we should begin to bury it. And so each of the farmers took a shovel and began to shovel earth into the well on top of the donkey. The first shovel full of earth landed on the donkey's back. And he looked up and he said to himself, My God, they're going to bury me. I'll return to the story of the donkey in a moment. Trust me, it ends well. But I share it with you tonight because right now I think a great many of us feel just like that donkey. That one shovel full of bad news has landed on our backs after another. We feel as if we are at the bottom of an abyss with no way to climb out of it. Now, sadly, we are not able to come together face to face tonight as we normally would do. But that doesn't mean that we can't be present for one another. Perhaps the celebrations will be more intimate, but they will continue. And we will continue to be present for our members in moments of difficulty as well. And we will begin to reach out to the most vulnerable within our congregation to see how they are faring, to make sure that they have everything that they need. We need to reach out to the others in our community, our friends, our families, certainly, but also our neighbors and those we know around us who may be especially vulnerable, to call them, to check in on them, to make sure that they have what it is they need, and simply to let them know that though they may feel isolated, they are never alone. 
The Chassid, Menachem Mendel of Rymanov, taught that human beings are God's language. When we reach out to those around us in need, we speak for God and we do God's work in the world. When we conclude a book of Torah, as we will next week, our tradition has us say these words, chazak, chazak, v'nit chazek. Be strong, be strong. We will strengthen each other. So I return to the story of the donkey. The first shovelful of earth landed on the donkey's back, and he shook it off. Shovelful after shovelful, the donkey would shake the earth from his back to the ground, and slowly the ground in the well began to rise. And so, over time, step by step, the donkey was able to climb out of the well. It will take time. But day by day, step by step, we will climb out of the darkness in which we find ourselves to the light of a better day. And chazak, chazak, v'nit chazek. We will do it together. The theme, We Will Do It Together, is a refrain heard in many pulpits and from public health officials. One Presbyterian preacher from Madden, Mississippi, sees these two messages as the same. You cannot profess to love your neighbor and at the same time ignore the public health directives that keep your neighbor safe. For Reverend McCall, this is deeply personal. His 14-year-old son, Andrew, is immune compromised. He's battling leukemia. In a Facebook live stream video, McCall shares what it's like to live in these times and makes a special appeal. And just to set it home, just the reality, it could be Andrew, the one you know who dies from this outbreak, could be Andrew. And it's not Andrew, it'll be another Andrew in your life. That's just the reality. And so we we fight this thing. We live under it. If you're getting your direction from a news show or a news host or even a politician, especially a politician, then you're in too much danger already. Pay attention to the CDC. Listen only to not merely doctors, but listen to actual infectious disease doctors. They're the only ones who really know. And they only know so much. And so that's living the high-risk life, leukemia life, during a pandemic. But in the end, so much of that is just living life in gym. So, with that, Andrew's doing well. We, when we're not thinking too much about it, we're not worrying too much about it. Uh, you know, we, we're just going through it. We're following the instructions. We would have had church today because, well, we're a rural, small little church, so we don't count as a large gathering. We count as a small group. And uh, we honored the governor, though, today and, and, and changed and, and, and didn't meet. 
Um, I'm sure it'll be fine for us to do those things. We, we're functioning. Is we're heightened and it's a reality. And so as we all live through this, live through it together, um, that's what it means to be us right now. And I share that genuinely. Very little to be about us. The Lord willing to be a voice for the other Andrews and their families. The ones you haven't thought about yet. The ones with asthma. The ones with severe allergies. The ones that are disabled in other ways. It's just broader and the risk level is just higher than what we realize if we don't intentionally think about it. And so praise God from whom all blessings flow that he sustains us through everything. Reverend Perry McCall is using every pulpit he can find, from live stream to local news, to urge fellow residents to think about their immune-compromised neighbors. A personal note here. I know Perry. We went to high school together in Tennessee. We lost touch decades ago, and then, well, Facebook came along and we reconnected. Perry regularly posts updates about Andrew and his progress. But this video, this live stream, was different. When I reached out to ask permission to use it in this episode, I asked Perry why he made this appeal and why now. His answer was simple. It was for all the Andrews. In this segment, we heard from the Right Reverend Marion Edgar Budd, the Episcopal Bishop of the Diocese of Washington, D.C., and the Most Reverend Michael Curry, presiding bishop of the Episcopal Church, from a live stream broadcast from the Washington National Cathedral and their respective homes. Rabbi Peter J. Rubenstein spoke from the Central Synagogue in New York City, where he serves as Rabbi Emeritus. And Reverend Perry McCall, a pastor at Carolina Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia, Mississippi. He recorded a live stream sermon from Leak Academy, where he is also a Bible and American history teacher in Madden, Mississippi. If you joined us late or want to get the full episode and links to the full live streams featured today, visit interfaithradio.org. Coming up after the break, we hear messages from a Friday khutbah or sermon from the Islamic Center of Southern California that focuses on gratitude, a message from Pope Francis reciting the Lord's Prayer, and a mindful meditation from Tara Brock, an American psychologist, meditation teacher, and author who explores how to navigate fear with compassion to awaken the heart and much more. This is Inspired. Stay with us.
أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم هل أتى على الإنسان حين من الدهر لم يكن شيئا مذكورا this is Inspired, a production of Interfaith Voices. I'm your host, Umbreen Khan. Each week, we explore the beliefs shaping our world. This week, we are taking a closer look at how religious leaders are offering words of wisdom and comfort during these uncertain times using a new platform, live streaming. We continue tuning in to these sermons from different traditions in different parts of the country from Washington, D.C. to North Carolina, New York City, and Madden, Mississippi. We now head to the West Coast. Across the country and world, Friday Muslim prayers have been canceled, and like other houses of worship, prayers are being led via live stream. At the Islamic Center of Southern California, after the Juma prayers that happen roughly around noon, the center's chairperson, Umar Riki, stood at the lectern under the arch and began to deliver the Friday sermon, known as the Khutbah. His message, gratitude, is often encompassed in an expression that Muslims often say when something good happens, Alhamdulillah. It roughly translates to mean thank God or praise to God, like hallelujah. You see, my dear brothers and sisters, how often do we say Alhamdulillah when something good happens to us? When we get that new job, when we may get a pay raise, when the stock market goes up, when we get a new phone, we often and correctly so say, Alhamdulillah, all praises and thanks are due to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And we say that because we perceive something good has happened to us. But if we believe in God, and if we are indeed grateful to God, which I'm sure we all are, gratefulness cannot be conditional. Gratefulness cannot be only when the good times happen. God's will is the best of all wills, and we should be grateful for his will. So I say alhamdulillah in the vein of making us realize that we are not in control. Allah is in control. I say alhamdulillah that our routines and our comings and goings our Western lives where we can turn on Netflix whenever we want or Facebook, etc. Alhamdulillah that we now realize that that can change in an instant. Alhamdulillah that we are starting to see what's important. The coronavirus has stopped us in our tracks and has forced us to consider our own mortality. It has brought death into sharp focus and relief. And we had better understand that in our egos and in our souls that we should be better, we should get be- busy doing better things in life. I say alhamdulillah that the coronavirus has now taught us to become more aware of how to protect our bodies. 
that, alhamdulillah, it has brought together disparate groups in people and people and organizations in society who would not normally meet, who would not normally get together to form bonds and new relationships. Alhamdulillah, that this virus has forced us to calm down, to put, you, some of us are now working from home, that we are now able to calm from the rat race and the hyperactivity of life. Alhamdulillah for the empty grocery shelves that we are now starting to encounter to make us realize how grateful we should be for the food that we can so easily obtain. And alhamdulillah, it has prompted some of us to reach out to our neighbors, especially the sick and the elderly, to see how they're doing. And if you have not done so, please do so as soon as possible. If, we're, if we say we are believers and if we are mu'mins, then we believe in all of what he says and sends forth in his holy Quran. We believe in him and his tests and his trials that he afflicts us with are there for us, not to be against us. They are there for us and for one another. We may not understand it at first. We may not see the rationale or what is happening at first. But in due time, that can be revealed to us either in this life or in the next. Undoubtedly, our spirit and our soul and our mentality is being challenged by this situation. And the natural anxieties and concerns that may percolate to the top is also an important aspect of how we deal with things. And this is where faith comes in, where faith in God subhanahu wa ta'ala can not only help allay the fears, but actually help our souls shine with resiliency. We now turn to a mountaintop monastery near Taipei, Taiwan. The Buddhist teacher known as Dharma Master Sin delivered a message of peace and connectedness. He is the founder and spiritual leader of the Lingzhao Buddhist Society. In this calamity that claims lives, we hope people learn to appreciate one another and connect for unity. So we have compassion for one another and empathy and bless one another for a quick end to the pandemic. We pray for peace for everyone, free of misfortunate adversity, and that the calamity is over soon. I believe that as long as there is the will to love, the calamity will most certainly be overcome.
Western practitioners of Buddhism may recognize American meditation teacher, psychologist, and author Tara Brack. She has a large virtual audience and community that has grown since 1998 when she founded one of the largest and most dynamic non-residential meditation centers in the United States. It's the Insight Meditation Community of Washington, D.C. She regularly holds guided meditations, and on March 18th, she led one titled, For Times of Pandemic, and she talks about the awakened being. It's really one of those strange things with this virtual world that I'm usually, as many of you know, there's a live group that I'm with, and I've probably had about 30 hugs before I sit down to give a talk. So now I'm feeling a virtual collective hug going on, and I'm trying to imagine you and listening from many, many different places around the globe. And it's very sweet, very sweet to be with you. What I'd like to reflect on uh, tonight is very much what is right in the times, is what it means to face a pandemic, a time of really widespread fear, how we can do that with a compassionate heart. And I really invite you, as we will be doing some experiential reflections and so on, as we practice together, it's so powerful to keep remembering and visualizing that you are joining in with humans from all parts of the globe, uh, beings like you who really want to live with presence and courage and love through these times, because it's so important to realize our togetherness. I don't need to name it, really. These are frightening times. And I imagine, like myself, most everyone listening has some real fear, Uh, Maybe for yourself or for others that are close in, or maybe it's the fear for so many in our world uh, that are, are struggling. And what is going on now feels quite different than personal suffering. And what I mean by that is in contrast to if we get that cancer diagnosis or a relationship fails, we're all in it. There's that well-known saying, be kind. Everyone you meet is fighting a hard battle. And what's growing clearer than ever is that each of us is having to face at a different pace, but face our vulnerability and it feels out of control and it can feel scary. I want to share personally, um, if we were in a live group, I'd be asking us to kind of talk to each other and share, well, how is it for you right now? For me, my daughter-in-law's pregnant, and she's a nurse working at the largest hospital in the San Francisco area, committed to staying on. So she's super high risk. And my son's father, who's a very dear friend, lives with them because he's very ill. He has a severe heart condition. So he might not survive the virus, and it's very likely to be brought into that home. It's complex, but that's scary. And then, of course, I have many more. I have friends in quarantine, as probably so many of you, and many, many friends who are financially on the edge. And we know pandemics are toughest on those who are most vulnerable. It's been like this through history. So those with the least 
access to good jobs and reliable incomes, to uh, the resources really of our society, they're the ones that are most likely to contract the virus, to die of it, and if they don't die, to be financially devastated. So as I imagine this, as I think of this, and it's very much in my heart and mind, of, of the close ones in and those that I know and those that I don't know and how our hospitals are quickly running out of supplies, there will not be enough beds. There won't be enough ventilators. Well, what comes up in me, just to name it, is this very real mix of a fear. I feel grief with my kind of my heart's anticipating real loss. Um, there's a rawness, there's a, a tenderness. And with all that is also a sense of, of possibility, that the possibility that this suffering, it's so deep and so wide, will wake up our hearts in a collective way. And many of you are familiar, I know, with the bodhisattva aspiration, a bodhisattva's an awakening being. And the words are, may whatever arises, whatever circumstances arise, may they serve the awakening of compassion. So I want to bring that into our shared reflection because this prayer is really in very deep in me that may this suffering awaken this heart and all hearts. May, may it help make love go viral. That's really the prayer. So maybe I'll pause for a moment and just invite you to sense in what is it like for you in these times of global crisis where many have already suffered and many much suffering is yet to come. I want to invite you to, as the poet Martha Postlewaite says, create a clearing in the dense forest of your life. And let these moments right now be a pause where you listen inwardly and feel, well, what is here? What wants attention? What maybe have you been unwilling to feel? Meditating, chanting, and praying together can be done alone and in the company of others. It's a ritual found in many spiritual traditions that can create a sense of community and bridge physical distance. That was the goal of Pope Francis when he issued a call for Christians from around the world to recite the Lord's Prayer at the same time, no matter where they are in the world. No computer or internet needed. Together, the Our Father, the prayer that Jesus taught us. As trustful children, we turn to the Father. We do it every day, several times a day. But right now, we wish to beg mercy for mankind, so sorely tried by the coronavirus pandemic. And we do this together, Christians of every church and community of every tradition, of every age, language, and nation. 
We pray for the sick and their families, for health care providers and those who help them, for the civil authorities, law enforcement agencies and volunteers, for the ministers of our communities. Today, many of us celebrate the incarnation of the Word in the womb of the Virgin Mary when her humble and total Here I Am reflected the Here I Am of the Son of God. We too entrust ourselves with full confidence into the hands of God and with one heart and one soul we pray. Pater noster qui es in celis, santificetur nomen tuum, adveniat reium tuum, fiat voluntas tua, sicut in cielo et in terra. Pane nostrum quotidianum da nobis odie, et dimite nobis debita nostra, sicut et nos dimitimus debitoribus nostris, et ne nos inducas in tentationem, liberaci dal malo. Amen. To find the live stream prayer shared during this segment, please visit interfaithradio.org and this week's show notes. That's all for this week's episode. If you missed any portion, you can stream the full hour at interfaithradio.org. You can also take us on the go as a podcast. Just search Interfaith Voices wherever you listen. And if you haven't heard, in 2021, we started a virtual book club. Our next gathering is on April 8th at 7.30 p.m., and we're going to be talking about a book that I really enjoyed, The Daughters of Kobani. It's a story of rebellion, courage, and justice by Gail LeMond. To join me, just send an RSVP, an email, to lila at interfaithradio.org. That's L-I-L-A at interfaithradio.org. This week's episode was produced by Kevin McCarthy and Kimberly Winston. We are grateful to our founder, Maureen Fiedler, and MC Yogi for our theme music. Wherever you are, I hope you are well, that you are safe, and I hope to see you next week. I'm your host and executive producer, Umbreen Khan. <laughs>